Friday, July tenth, nineteen forty-two. Dearest Kitty, I've probably bored you with my long description of our house, but I still think you should know where I've ended up. How I ended up here is something you'll figure out from my next letters. But first, let me continue my story because, as you know, I wasn't finished. After we arrived at two six three Pringenstrat, Meep quickly led us through the long hallway and up the wooden staircase to the next floor and into the annex. She shut the door behind us, leaving us alone. Margaret had arrived much earlier on her bike and was waiting for us. Our living room and all the other rooms were so full of stuff that I can't find the words to describe it. All the cardboard boxes that had been sent to the office in the last few months were piled on the floors and beds. The small room was filled from floor to ceiling with linens. If we wanted to sleep in properly made beds that night, we had to get going and straighten up the mess. Mother and Margaret were unable to move a muscle. They lay down on their bare mattresses. Tired, miserable, and I don't know what else. But father and I, the two cleaner uppers in the family, started in right away. All day long, we unpacked boxes, filled cupboards, hammered nails, and straightened up the mess until we felt exhausted into our clean beds at night. We hadn't eaten a hot meal all day, but we didn't care. Mother and Margaret were too tired and keyed up to eat, and father and I were too busy. Tuesday morning, we started where we left off the night before. Beb and me went grocery shopping with our ration coupons. Father worked on our blackout screens. We scrubbed the kitchen floor and were once again busy from sunup to sundown. Until Wednesday, I didn't have a chance to think about the enormous change in my life. Then, for the first time since our arrival in the secret annex, I found a moment to tell you all about it. And to realize what had happened to me and what was yet to happen, yours M. Saturday, July eleventh, nineteen forty-two. Dearest Kitty, Father, Mother, and Margaret still can't get used to the chiming of the Westertoren clock, which tells us the time every quarter of an hour. Not me. I liked it from the start. It sounds so reassuring, especially at night. You no doubt want to hear what I think of being in hiding. Well. All I can say is that I don't really know yet. I don't think I'll ever feel at home in this house, but that doesn't mean I hate it. It's more like being on vacation in some strange pension, kind of an odd way to look at life in hiding. But that's how things are. The annex is an ideal place to hide in. It may be damp and lopsided, but there's probably not a more comfortable hiding place in all of Amsterdam. No, in all of Holland. Up to now, our bedroom, with its blank walls, was very bare. Thanks to father, who brought my entire postcard and movie star collection here beforehand, and to a brush and a pot of glue, I was able to plaster the walls with pictures. It looks much more cheerful. When the Fandans arrive, we'll be able to build cupboards and other odds and ends out of the wood piled in the attic. Margaret and mother have recovered somewhat. Yesterday, mother felt well enough to cook split pea soup for the first time, but then she was downstairs talking and forgot all about it. The beans were scorched black, and no amount of scraping could get them out of the pan. Last night, the four of us went down to the private office and listened to England on the radio. I was so scared someone might hear it that I literally begged father to take me back upstairs. 
Mother understood my anxiety and went with me. Whatever we do, we are very afraid the neighbors might hear or see us. We started off immediately the first day sewing curtains. Actually, you can hardly call them that, since they're nothing but scraps of fabric, varying greatly in shape, quality, and pattern, which father and I stitch crookedly together with unskilled fingers. These works of art were tacked to the windows, where they'll stay until we come out of hiding. The building on our right is a branch of the Keg Company, a firm from Sandham, and on the left is a furniture workshop. Though the people who work there are not on the premises after hours, any sound we make might travel through the walls. We've forbidden Margaret to cough at night, even though she has a bad cold, and I've given her large doses of codeine. I'm looking forward to the arrival of the Van Dams, which is set for Tuesday. It will be much more fun and also not as quiet. You see, it's the silence that makes me so nervous during the evenings and nights, and I'd give anything to have one of our helpers sleep here. It's really not that bad here, since we can do our own cooking and can listen to the radio in Daddy's office. Mister Clayman and Meep and Bear Foskerjaw too have helped us so much. We already canned loads of rhubarb, strawberries, and cherries. So for the time being, I doubt we'll be bored. We also have a supply of reading material, and we're going to buy lots of games. Of course, we can't ever look out the window or go outside. We have to be quiet so the people downstairs can't hear us. Yesterday we had our hands full. We had to pit two crates of cherries for Mister Kubler to can. We're going to use the empty crates to make bookshelves. Someone's calling me. Yours, Anne. Comment edited by Anne on September nineteen forty-two. Not being able to go outside upsets me more than I can say, and I'm terrified our hiding place will be discovered and that we'll be shot. That, of course, is a fairly dismal prospect. Sunday, July twelfth, nineteen forty-two. They've all been so nice to me this last month because of my birthday, and yet every day I feel myself drifting further away from mother and Margaret. I worked hard today, and they praised me, only to start picking on me again five minutes later. You can easily see the difference between the way they deal with Margaret and the way they deal with me. For example, Margaret broke the vacuum cleaner, and because of that, we've been without light for the rest of the day. Mother said, "Well, Margaret, it's easy to see you're not used to working. Otherwise, you'd have known better than to yank the plug out by the cord." Margaret made some reply. And that was the end of the story. But this afternoon, when I wanted to rewrite something on Mother's shopping list because her handwriting is so hard to read, she won't let me. She bawled me out again, and the whole family wound up getting involved. I don't fit in with them, and I felt that clearly in the last few weeks. They're so sentimental together, and I'd rather be sentimental on my own. They're always saying how nice it is with the four of us, and that we get along so well. Without giving a moment's thought to the fact that I don't feel that way, Daddy is the only one who understands me. Now and again, though, he usually sides with Mother and Margaret. Another thing I can't stand is having them talk about me in front of outsiders, telling them how I cried or how sensibly I'm behaving. It's horrible. And sometimes they talk about Morja, and I can't take that at all. Morja is my weak spot. I miss her every minute of the day. And no one knows how often I think of her. Whenever I do, my eyes fill with tears. Moja is so sweet. 
and I love her so much that I keep dreaming she'll come back to us. I have plenty of dreams, but the reality is that we'll have to stay here until the war is over. We can't ever go outside, and the only visitors we can have are me, her husband Jan, Bat Foskajol, Mr. Foskajol, Mr. Kugler, Mr. Clayman, and Mrs. Clayman. Though she hasn't come because she thinks it's too dangerous. Comment added by Anne in September 1942. Daddy's always so nice. He understands me perfectly, and I wish we could have a heart-to-heart -heart talk sometime about my bursting instantly into tears. But apparently, that has to do with my age. I'd like to spend all my time writing, but that would probably get boring. Up to now, I've only confided my thoughts to my diary. I still haven't gotten around to writing amusing sketches that I could read aloud at a later date. In the future, I'm going to devote less time to sentimentality and more time to reality. Friday, August fourteenth, nineteen forty-two. Dear Kitty, I've deserted you for an entire month. But so little has happened that I can't find a newsworthy item to relate every single day. The Vandans arrived on July thirteenth. We thought they were coming on the fourteenth, but from the thirteenth to sixteenth, the Germans were sending out call-up notices right and left and causing a lot of unrest. So they decided it would be safer to leave a day too early than a day too late. Peter Vandan arrived at nine thirty in the morning. Peter's going on sixteenth. A shy, awkward boy whose company won't amount to much. Mister and Missus Van Dan came half an hour later. Much to our amusement, Missus Van Dan was carrying a hat box with a large chamber pot inside. I just don't feel at home without my chamber pot, she exclaimed, and it was the first item to find a permanent place under the divan. Instead of a chamber pot, Mister Van D was lugging a collapsible tea table under his arm. From the first, we ate our meals together, and after three days, it felt as if the seven of us had become one big family. Naturally, the Vandans had much to tell about the week we'd been away from civilization. We were especially interested in what had happened to our apartment and to Mister Goldschmidt. Mister Vandan filled us in. Monday morning at nine, Mister Goldschmidt phoned and asked if I could come over. I went straight away and found a very distraught Mister Goldschmidt. He showed me a note that the Frank family had left behind. As instructed, he was planning to bring the cat to the neighbors, which I agreed was a good idea. He was afraid the house was going to be searched, so we went through all the rooms, straightening up here and there and clearing the breakfast things off the table. Suddenly, I saw a notepad on Mrs. Frank's desk and an address in Maastricht written on it. Even though I knew Mrs. Frank had left it on purpose. I pretended to be surprised and horrified, and begged Mr. Goldschmidt to burn this incriminating piece of paper. I swore up and down that I knew nothing about your disappearance, but that the note had given me an idea. Mr. Goldschmidt, I said, I bet I know what this address refers to. About six months ago, a high-ranking officer came to the office. It seems he and Mr. Frank grew up together. He promised to help Mr. Frank if it was ever necessary. As I recall, he was stationed in Maastricht. I think this officer has kept his word and is somehow planning to help them cross over to Belgium and then to Switzerland. There's no harm in telling this to any friends of the Franks who come asking about them. Of course, you don't need to mention the part about Maastricht. And after that, I left. This is a story most of your friends have been told. 
because I heard it later from several other people. We thought it was extremely funny, but we laughed even harder when Mr. Van Den told us that certain people have vivid imaginations. For example, one family living on our square claimed they saw all four of us riding by on our bikes early in the morning, and another woman was absolutely positive we had been loaded into some kind of military vehicle in the middle of the night. Yours, Anne. Friday, August 21st, 1942. Dear Kitty, Now our secret annex has truly become secret, because so many houses are being searched for hidden bicycles. Mr. Kruger thought it would be better to have a bookcase built in front of the entrance to our hiding place. It swings out on its hinges and opens like a door. Mr. Fogelshaw did the carpentry work. Now, whenever we want to go downstairs, we have to duck and then jump. After the first three days, we were all walking around with bumps on our foreheads from banging our heads against the low doorway. Then Peter cushioned it by nailing a towel stuffed with wood shavings to the doorframe. Let's see if it helps. I'm not doing much schoolwork. I've given myself a vacation until September. Father wants to start tutoring me then, but we have to buy all the books first. There's little change in our lives here. Peter's hair was washed today, but that's nothing special. Mr. Van Dan and I are always at loggerheads with each other. Mama always treats me like a baby, which I can't stand. For the rest, things are going better. I don't think Peter's gotten any nicer. He's an obnoxious boy who lies around on his bed all day, only rousing himself to do a little carpentry work before returning to his nap. What a dope. Mama gave me another one of her dreadful sermons this morning. We take the opposite view of everything. Daddy's a sweetheart. He may get mad at me, but it never lasts longer than five minutes. It's a beautiful day outside, nice and hot, and in spite of everything, we make the most of the weather by lounging on the folding bed in the attic. Yours, Anne. Comment edited by Anne on September 21st, 1942. Mr. Van Dan has been as nice as pie to me recently. I've said nothing, but have been enjoying it while it lasts. Wednesday, September 2nd, 1942. Dearest Kitty, Mr. and Mrs. Van Dan have had a terrible fight. I've never seen anything like it since mother and father won't dream of shouting at each other like that. The argument was based on something so trivial it didn't seem worth wasting a single word on it. Oh well, to each his own. Of course, it's very difficult for Peter, who gets caught in the middle, but no one takes Peter seriously anymore, since he's hypersensitive and lazy. Yesterday he was beside himself with worry because his tongue was blue instead of pink. This rare phenomenon, disappeared as quickly as it came. Today, he's walking around with a heavy scarf on because he's got a stiff neck. His Highness has been complaining of lumbago too. Aches and pains in his heart, kidneys and lungs are also par for the course. He's an absolute hypochondriac. Mother and Mrs. Van Dan aren't getting along very well. There are enough reasons for the friction. To give you one small example, Mrs. Van D has removed all but three of her sheets from our communal linen closet. She's assuming that mothers can be used for both families. She'll be in for a nasty surprise when she discovers that mother has followed her lead. Furthermore, Mrs. Van D is ticked off because we're using her china instead of ours. She's still trying to find out what we've done with our plates. They're a lot closer than she thinks. 
since they're packed in cardboard boxes in the attic, behind a load of opaque advertising material. As long as we're in hiding, the plates will remain out of her reach. Since I'm always having accidents, it's just as well. Yesterday, I broke one of Mrs. Fandy's soup bowls. Oh! She angrily exclaimed, "Can't you be more careful? That was my last one." Please bear in mind, Kitty, that the two ladies speak abominable Dutch. If you were to hear their bungled attempts, you'd laugh your head off. We've given up pointing out their errors, since correcting them doesn't help anyway. Whenever I quote Mother or Mrs. Van Dam, I'll write proper Dutch instead of trying to duplicate their speech. Last week there was a brief interruption in our monotonous routine. This was provided by Peter in a book about women. I should explain that Margaret and Peter are allowed to read nearly all the books Mr. Clayman lends us, but the adults prefer to keep this special book to themselves. This immediately piqued Peter's curiosity. What forbidden fruit did it contain? He snuck off with it when his mother was downstairs talking, and took himself and his booty to the loft. For two days, all was well. Mrs. Van Dam knew what he was up to, but kept mum until Mr. Van Dam found out about it. He threw a fit, took the book away, and assumed that would be the end of the business. However, he neglected to take his son's curiosity into account. Peter, not in the least phased by his father's swift action, began thinking up ways to read the rest of this vastly interesting book. In the meantime, Mrs. Fandy asked Mother for her opinion. Mother didn't think this particular book was suitable for Margaret, but she saw no harm in letting her read most other books. You see. Mrs. Van Dam, mother said, there's a big difference between Margaret and Peter. To begin with, Margaret's a girl, and girls are always more mature than boys. Second, she's already read many serious books and doesn't go looking for those which are no longer forbidden. Third, Margaret's much more sensible and intellectually advanced as a result of her four years at an excellent school. Mrs. Van Dam agreed with her. But felt it was wrong as a matter of principle to let youngsters read books written for adults. Meanwhile, Peter had thought of a suitable time when no one would be interested in either him or the book. At seven thirty in the evening, when the entire family was listening to radio in the private office, he took his treasure and stole off to the loft again. He should have been back by eight thirty. But he was so engrossed in the book that he forgot the time and was just coming down the stairs when his father entered the room. The scene that followed was not surprising. After a slap, a whack, and a tug of war, the book lay on the table, and Peter was in the loft. This is how matters stood when it was time for the family to eat. Peter stayed upstairs. No one gave him a moment's thought. He'd have to go to bed without his dinner. We continued eating, chatting merrily away. When suddenly we heard a piercing whistle, we lay down our forks and stared at each other. The shock clearly visible on our pale faces. Then we heard Peter's voice through the chimney. "I won't come down." Mister Van Dam leapt up, his napkin falling to the floor, and shouted, with the blood rushing to his face, "I've had enough!" Father, afraid of what might happen, grabbed him by the arm, and the two men went to the attic. After much struggling and kicking, Peter wound up in his room with the door shut. And we went on eating. Mrs. Van Dam wanted to save a piece of bread for her darling son, but Mr. Van Dam was adamant. If he doesn't apologize this minute, he'll have to sleep in the loft. We protested that going without dinner was enough punishment, 
What if Peter were to catch cold? We wouldn't be able to call a doctor. Peter didn't apologize and returned to the loft. Mr. Fandan decided to leave well enough alone, though he did note the next morning that Peter's bed had been slept in. At seven, Peter went to the attic again, but was persuaded to come downstairs when Father spoke a few friendly words to him. After three days of sullen looks and stubborn silence, everything was back to normal. Yours, Anne. Codeine. Codeine. Now, a drug made from opium that is used to reduce pain. Lumbago. Lumbago. Now, pain in the muscles and joints of the lower back. Hypochondriac. Hypochondriac. Now, a person who is abnormally anxious about their health. 